my life, I've been kind of a storyteller. Uh, when I was eight years old, my little sister was born, and so I kind of, you know, babysat with her as I got older, and I would tell her all kinds of stories, and then my nieces and nephews, and then we had our own children. Now I have grandkids, and I'm just always spinning out yarns. Uh, so I've always had kind of an interest. Someday I just like to write these stories. So I had just published a book of history, a book of nonfiction, and this guy who's a, a, a film producer um, called me and said, I just read your, your history book. I want you to write a film script. <laughs> Tennessee is our guest. Her newest book is is as far as you can, and yes. we'll we'll get into a little more of, of what that is. Can you tell us to start off with how did you really get to going from so you were uh, in academia, you were writing at that time, uh, but then kind of moving into really this uh, narrative type uh, novel focus? Um, how did that happen? Sure, well, that's an interesting story. Um... And uh, so most of my life, I've been kind of a storyteller. Uh, when I was eight years old, my little sister was born. And so I kind of, you know, babysat with her as I got older. And I would tell her all kinds of stories. And then my nieces and nephews, and then we had our own children. Now I have grandkids, and I'm just always spinning out yarns. Uh, so I've always had kind of an interest. Someday I just like to write these stories. So I had just published a book of history, a book of nonfiction, and this guy who's a, a, a film producer um, called me and said, I just read your, your history book. I want you to write a film script <laughs> based on, I, I've never written a film script. He said, well, start off by writing what they call a pitch. It's like a 20-page narrative of what the movie would be. I had just read an archaeological report about a young man whose, whose skeletal remains had been found from 2,000 years ago, and his, his skull was enormously deformed. And so an artist tried to sketch out what he would have looked like. And I, I just thought that was fascinating. So I just put the two together. What would it have been like to be that guy? And so I wrote a story using all the history as the context and background about this young man. And um, I just wrote it the way I would tell a story to my, my kids and my grandkids. You don't know where it's going until you just sit down and <laughs> start talking, right? And, oh, I didn't know he was going to do that. Well, yeah, that, you know, that's just, it just comes out. So that's the way the story uh, ended up. Uh, it took twists and turns. I didn't plan, but that's the way you are when you write uh, fiction. So I, I enjoyed it tremendously. And of course, I kept pouring into it the history. Uh, that I, that I had learned and, and written about over the years and taught in the classroom. But it became, uh, you know, a, a story as I imagined that young man would have experienced 
you know, had we been there with a movie camera to film him, it must have been a tough life for a guy like that. Uh, there's nothing you can do. There's no surgery back then. You just have to live with that kind of, you know, facial deformity. So that's how it came about. Uh, so I, I sent him the, the pitch and he said, I love this. Now write the full script. And I said, I, I'm not a script writer. That's a whole separate, you have to know your limitations. That's a whole separate skill. But I said, I will make it into a novel. And then if you want to take it and, and, you know, find a script writer based on that. So that's what I've done. I just expanded the 20 page pitch, the, the narrative into a full fledged novel. Got it. Now, just to clarify, so that, uh, that full fledged novel, is that relate to the arts as far as you can, or this is a separate that is the novel. It's right that here. Is done. Okay. Oh, cool. <laughs> that's it. That's you interesting. So, so on the front, you see the guys wearing a facial veil. Okay. And so in the, in the story, I have him wearing a facial veil most of the time because his deformity is just so loathsome to people and, and he doesn't want anybody to see him like that. But of course they do now and then. So yeah. Interesting. So he's, and he's got a sword in his hand because these are tough times he lives in. Uh, so yeah, that's the novel uh, that, that resulted from this. So as far as you can is the novel, but it's based on a nonfiction historical work that this film producer, I don't know why he would have read it, but thank you. Sure. <laughs> I wouldn't have written the novel if he hadn't called me. Interesting. So, so then what, now what would you say as you're going through that? So what is it that makes the impactful part of the story? So what, I, what I'm thinking here is again, people focus on value. So when I heard you talk about putting the history in, I almost think as if from a, I guess from a business standpoint of the value, adding value to your message, informing people, giving people context, which they, they get something from. And the thing is in a story or a narrative, it's different than saying, Hey, well, there was this guy, he had a deformed face and he had a hard life. And, you know, so how do you go about constructing the story to convey the message um, and infusing that with, with some type of deeper purpose. So can you break down, do you have that down to where you can kind of break down the type of structure to the storytelling? Yeah. Well, you know, the, I did not have the narrative plotted out. It just flowed, as I said, but I did have a theme and I think that helps. And so, uh, I, I try to bring the theme out in various ways and in various places, not too, explicitly i'm not cramming something down people's throats but i try to bring the theme out it, it pops up here and there and of course the book ends with that theme so i did have a theme which i would i would rehearse and i think and if you're going to make it like a commercial for business uh don't be too overbearing some of the best commercials are the ones where you you know they're kind of funny and you just enjoy the what's happening you know on television uh, but when they're over, you're thinking, oh, you know, that's, that is, that's pretty clever uh, I'm, because I'm going to remember that commercial. I'm going to remember that story that they've told, and it's going to make me think the next time I need a product like that, uh, uh, like some of the insurance companies that advertise, they're extremely clever, extremely creative. It's going to make me think about that company. Uh, so you're giving them an enjoyment but at the same time, you're selling, uh, you're selling a product. And of course, every time you sell a product, you're really selling yourself. You're selling something about yourself uh, at the same time. So 
make it make it enjoyable. Make it so it, if it's not funny, make it inspirational. Those are also very effective television commercials. Um, make it informative. Give them some information that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Uh, and but embed in that your theme, whatever whether you're selling insurance or you're you're selling cars or whatever it is, embed that in the story, and people will remember it, and they'll appreciate. You know, even if I don't buy that car, I really like that story. <laughs> Maybe the next time they will buy the car. Yes, yes, I, I definitely relate to that in terms of taking your your brand and uh, you know as you as you said, for example, insurance. I was thinking of a Geico commercial that literally I saw. I think. Yeah. either earlier today or yesterday, <laughs> there was no mention of insurance. It was just a caveman walking down an airport <laughs> and he's walking by and then he, he looks over and he sees, he sees this poster as, as easy as a caveman, you know, yeah. easy enough for a caveman. <laughs> and if there's no talk of insurance, but at the same time, like everybody knows, like that's the Geico commercials and Geico sells insurance and yeah. you, you pair that up. Um, so, so yeah, so I think that that's definitely, you know, interesting. And I think, then if you probably take a look at the mission, then if you go down to the, the sort of the, the depth of Geico and what people associate with that brand, you know, it just takes that imagery and that, I guess that is storytelling in a bit, but you're taking that imagery uh, and associating it again with what people think of when they think of Geico it might be low price, right? It might be good customer service, uh, might be easy access or something. Um, but at the same time, so taking a look at the, um, what the purpose is, and then obviously what the the mission is for them, uh, that makes a makes a makes a difference. So, um, so great. So then now this book, what in terms of for some of the the purpose or the or the uh, the focus of the theme that you mentioned. So what what would you share is like the theme of of this book as far as you can, and some of the storytelling. Well, it's it's a religious book. It has a religious theme. I'm a religious person. And so when I thought about this poor guy, um, I thought about probably a whole lot of other people out there that might read the book someday who, if, if they don't have that particular issue, they've got others. When a person goes through a tough time of suffering, they just feel abandoned and isolated. Others don't know how to relate to them. Sometimes they back off from them. They, they feel awkward about them and that. I just wanted people to read this book and realize that they are not alone, that, that providence is at work in their lives. They may not see it immediately. I mean, in this story, providence is at work. Uh, this young man doesn't realize it uh, for a long time, but, you know, it, ultimately he does. Providence works in and through the events that are taking place uh, in the historical background to this, to this narrative. And I, I just want to give people some hope. Uh, things, things get bad for everybody at some point in their life. That's, that's the price we pay to, to be alive. Um, nobody escapes it. Uh, but when it happens, it's normal and human to feel isolated. It's normal and human to feel like nobody's ever suffered like you, but they have. We all do. Uh, and it's also normal and human to think, you know, God doesn't really notice me. He notices everybody else around me, but he doesn't notice me. Uh, but I, I wanted people to have hope that, you know, uh, providence is at work uh, in the world, in your life. And um, God works out things sometimes in, in ways that we are quite surprised about, uh, ultimately. 
And I, I like to, to tell people providence, God's providence, is not something you see out your, your car's front windshield. It's not ahead of you. You can't see it at your side windows. It's not in the present tense. You see it in your rearview mirror. You look back and say, wow, look at how that turned. It could have gone, you know, uh, many different ways, but it went that way. And so that's when you pre appreciate problems. And, and sometimes you never quite know it, but uh, God is at work nonetheless. So that's the theme. The theme is don't feel alone. Have some hope. God is at work in your life. And uh, you may be going through a really tough time, but uh, other people do as well. And you can have the courage and the strength to come through it. That's the theme. That's great. And so I think that there's many applications of this concept where uh, you have sort of this concept you're trying to get across. And ultimately, there's many ways to try to do that. You could literally tell somebody and say, let's talk about providence or let's talk about this concept of hope. Right. And you should have more hope in your life. Whereas if you're going through this story format and this narrative where you let somebody kind of find it on their own and decide whether or not they, they want to sort of, if they see that or if they take possession of it and seeing it sort of transpire through the story. Um, in this case, there's seems almost as if it makes sense that there's more of an opportunity for somebody to find that, um, that meaning on their own. And obviously, if you're sort of providing that through the through the book, um, the book, if we think of other sort of uh, sort of products, it's a something to be able to, to communicate an offer that ultimately has some deeper meaning that somebody can take from there, but they get the product of the story. And um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting, interesting pieces that are that are there. Yes. So what you try to do is leave breadcrumbs for them to follow. Uh, because what you discover yourself is always more effective than what I, you know, just tell you outright. Uh, you just tell somebody something, and they say, yeah, really, or they might not even be listening at all. But what you just discover on your own, or you seem to discover on your own, is much more effective for your learning process. But I'm trying to help that learning. I'm, trying, I'm leaving the breadcrumbs. That's why I don't make it too explicit you can, if you read the story the first time, you might say, hmm, it seems religious, but, uh, you know, but if you read the second time, I think you'd, you'd see all these clues that are in there, how the, how the protagonist is changing his point of view uh, due to certain events and certain people in his life. So that's, that's how I tried to handle it. Great. Well, I have some other thoughts here to go into, but can you tell us some of the maybe excited without giving books, the book away, but some of the interesting or exciting things that happened to the protagonist and uh, really maybe even share, do you have a specific example you could give of an exciting scene or something that happens to where you're able to infuse that part with an opportunity to take meaning? Well, so uh, in the first third of the book, the young man gets married uh, now imagine, of course, they arranged marriages. This is taking place in first century Palestine. All marriages are arranged. There's no dating. You know, there's no uh, um, no uh, online dating site or anything like that. No meeting people in places and going out on dates. It's all just arranged. So they found the young man, a, a family that was willing to give their daughter to him and so they're at a wedding, and there's the typical celebration. I try to go into how they did the weddings, you know, and 
so this older gentleman comes in. He's um, he's a quite an advanced age because in those days, if you live past forty, you you hit the mother load because life is tough, right? Uh, and we know from the examination of the skeletal remains how long people lived on average. If you make it past forty, you've you've lived a pretty good life. This guy's you know pushing seventy, so well, old guy. So he comes in, he sits down, and they ask him to do you know, to, to participate in what was their form of entertainment, telling a story. So that's right at my alley. I've been telling stories since my little sister was born. Telling stories. So one of the stories he tells, I pulled right out of the, of the Talmud, right? It's a, it's a rabbinic story. It's where I get the title. And in the story, there's a young man uh, who decides he wants to leave home and he goes to a far country. He says he goes 100 days journey. That would be like enormous traveling for these people who they seldom got more than 10 miles away from their village a hundred days journey who can imagine that but word trickles back to his father that he's doing things that are shaming the family and you can in the in the rabbinic story this makes you 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 have to imagine what he might oh boy i can imagine some pretty bad stuff so his father writes him a letter he sends it by one of his servants Hundred days, takes the letter, gives it to the son. Son, I want you to come home. Please, please come home. The son says, "No, no, father, I can't come home. I'm too ashamed. I, I just, I, I can never come home and face you, my family, the village. I can never come back. I'm too ashamed." The servant comes back with that letter. The father writes another letter, and the father writes another son. Come as far as you can. Thank you for listening to another episode of Errol Helps Entrepreneurs Increase Visibility, Credibility, and Profitability. If you enjoyed the conversation today and you find yourself wanting more, there is. These conversations are recorded live in our closed Facebook community for entrepreneurs called LinkedIn Mastery. Head on over to Facebook for LinkedIn Mastery to find the extended clip of this recording along with many other conversations and resources to help you in your entrepreneurial journey. Just be sure to replace the Y at the end of Mastery with three E's and join us at LinkedIn Mastery. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Mastery, where entrepreneurs go to network and learn how to attract their ideal clients via LinkedIn and broker powerful connections worldwide. Be sure to visit us at LinkedIn Mastery on Facebook. Be sure to replace the Y with three E's and join us at LinkedIn Mastery.